Our scripture that was read earlier came from the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, and the reading commenced at the 50, from the 55th verse through to the 60th verse. And I'll read it again so that we are all together on the same page. The text begins by saying, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, meaning Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. The moment you decide to give your life to the Lord is the moment you begin to live. The Old Testament, as many of you may be familiar, is a book of hope. Whenever you read the Old Testament, it is a book of hope. From Abraham to Sarah to the present day, the people of Israel have placed their hopes in the promises of God who has entered into a covenant with them. By trusting in God's faithfulness, they have hope for the messianic reign of God, for deliverance from evil, and for God's blessing of justice and peace on all who will keep God's commandment. So the entire Old Testament is about a people hoping and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who's going to bring deliverance and peace Amen. for all who keeps God's commandments. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is also saturated with hope and a spirit of expectation. Jesus in the New Testament proclaims in word and deed that the reign of God is at hand. In fact, when he taught the people how to pray, he said what? Thy kingdom come. There is an expectation and a looking forward to something that will be brought in with the kingdom of God. In Jesus' ministry of healing and forgiveness and resurrection from the dead, the New Testament church sees the beginning of God's victory over all the forces of sin and death in the world. Now, let me put this in context for you. When Jesus went around healing the sick, raising the dead, a lot of people get stuck on the miracles. The miracles are wonderful. But let's face it. He didn't heal my sickness. He didn't heal your issue. He was solving it for people back then. But what Jesus was doing was demonstrating that the kingdom of God was now here. So by healing the sick, by opening blind eyes and opening deaf ears and raising the dead, he was saying that the kingdom of God was here right now. In other words, if you see me doing all these wonderful things, it's because the kingdom of God has now come. For in the kingdom of God, there is no death, there is no sickness, there is no blindness, there is no deafness. All that happens, what is in the kingdom is something that is not what we're seeing. So he's saying the kingdom has now come. 
That's why even us today, we have this looking forward to, to thy kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. So the early followers of the crucified and the risen Lord eagerly awaits the triumph of God where death will be no more. But historically, as the church continued to grow in the hope of the glorious coming of Christ and the transformation of the world, it has been met with a great challenge. As time has gone on to this present age in which we now live, what we see is the church looking more and more like the world. We have somehow gotten to the place where we believe that what the world has to offer and, and the world's way of doing things and getting things done and the lore of material accumulation has superseded the mandate and the mission that we receive from the Lord, our Savior. In the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, which Sister Yvette pointed to earlier, we're told to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But when we look around the world today, can you honestly say that we are doing our part to be credible witnesses to what God has called us to do. Where is your witness? And to whom are you witnessing? I once heard it said that we need today, we need today the Elijah of the olden days. But the real truth is that we do not need any Elijah, for Elijah had already come. What I think we need today is for Christians to be, become more arrested with the God of Elijah where in your heart and in your spirit you have the same kind of fervor and desire to do the great things for the kingdom of God, not for what it means and how it will benefit you. The story of Stephen is a story of a good death. Not because Stephen was a martyr, because the cause of his death was not the issue, but because Stephen was prepared. Stephen ran a good race of the faith and became not just the first Christian martyr after Christ's death, but he received the high honor of the faith as he saw the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. It is this singular episode that I want to preach about today, and therefore I've titled this sermon, quite simply, The Standing Ovation. The story of Stephen is like most passages of Scripture, laden with multiple dimensions of truth and understanding. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Stephen, but it, it, it is, on, on, on one hand, it shows us this dialectic between how savage human beings can be, on the one hand, but at the same time, it shows us the nobility of suffering. Either of those two things are very painful when you look at them on the surface. What happens? You see people who believe that they are for God, who believe that they're doing things for God, and they have, they have destroyed this man's life because of a difference of opinion. But on the other hand, you see a man who is suffering, and in his suffering, he still exemplifies and presents an image of nobility. Yet the story is not about that a man got savagely murdered for what he believed. It's more than that. For those of you not familiar with the martyrdom of Stephen, let me give you this quick background. Stephen was first mentioned in the book of Acts of the Apostles as one of seven deacons that was appointed by the apostles to distribute food to people, the people in their community, in the early church. The reason for the appointment of Stephen as a deacon is that 
there was dissatisfaction among certain factions of the Jews. Now, what you need to understand is that a lot of people at the time did believe in Jesus. But there were some that we would call Hellenistic Jews, and there were some that we would call Hebraic Jews. What that means is that there were those that spoke Greek, the Greek language, and there were those that speak the original Hebrew language. And what happens when you have two different groups coming together, you normally have disagreements. So there was this, so the, so the Hellenistic Jews and all of the people who were part of that community, they felt that they were being slighted with the giving out of food and distribution during missions. So they complained to the apostles and said, listen, we noticed that the Jewish Jews were getting more of the supplies and the food and the support, and the Greek Jews weren't getting as much. And so what happened is Peter and all of the apostles assembled together and they said, listen, we're going to solve this problem. It is not fair that we should be serving tables because, you know, we have to, we have to be focused on preaching God's word. So, so they were given this mandate to go find some folks who were filled with the spirit of God who could go out and oversee the distribution of food. Stephen was one of those people. He was a deacon that was filled, so filled with the Spirit of God, had such a mighty witness for God that he was seen as perfectly suited to give out food, to serve. I, I don't know if you caught that. No matter what you do in the house of the Lord, as simple as it may be, you may think that all you do is maybe clean the pews. You may think that all you need to do, all you do is just clean the, the bathrooms or, or you, 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 you serve as an usher or no matter. You know, we have a way in the church of building this hierarchy of who is most important in the house of God by virtue of what they do. So what I'm trying to help you to see is that while I'm here as the preacher in the church, it is a tendency and this is the world's way of doing things. The world says because I'm the preacher. The one that has the education, the one that has all of this stuff, that I am at a higher level in the kingdom of God than someone who may have been just the person who does hand out food or serve food at the table. My brothers and my sisters, the world's way is not God's way. You see, the first will be last, and the last will be first. I tell you all the time, I wear my collar for a reason, because it reminds me of all the early Christians that this was how they would drag them with the collar to the lions. So we are the least in the kingdom of God. And I will be held accountable for every idle word that I preach from this pulpit, which is the reason why we call it a sacred desk. Because what you need to understand, my brothers and sisters, is why many people are trying to get to the pulpit to preach. What they need to understand is they're really on a journey towards their own cross. You don't come to this thinking that this is all high and mighty because the work is not right here. The work is what I do when I step away from here. So everyone, some folks, I should say, are rushing to get to here because they think that this will give them the power and the authority that they want. My brothers and my sisters, let me be clear. Let me be clear. As you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. So I'm trying to help you understand that while Stephen, the apostles were wise in saying what? Let us find some people who are filled with the Spirit to serve in the least capacity in the house I tell you you could have ushers in churches that are more filled with the spirit than the preacher in the pulpit 
I'm not calling down damnation on any pulpit. I'm simply saying the world has a way of making the CEO look like the greatest and forget the worker on the front line. That's the world's way. The church's way says, listen, you put on this robe to forget yourself, to recognize that this is not about you. If our Savior, the Christ, who came and left the majesty of heaven and became in the form of a man, suffered, bled, and died, how much more so we? Let's get this straight, my brothers and sisters. As long as I am in this pulpit, we are a house of service. Our worship must come from a place where you don't see me as king. You see me as servant. So Stephen was one of those that was called. And so he was appointed to oversee this. Now, now Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew himself, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, that he performed miracles, and he was teaching, and he showed signs and wonders. Stephen was a phenomenal waiter. <laughs> Y'all got that? Stephen was filled with the Spirit as a waiter. And by doing these great works, it doesn't take long for people to start to see how you function and how you work in your gifting and in your calling before they start to tell you all kinds of things about what you should or should not do. Now listen, let's not get it confused about those who God has placed in authority over you for the moment. What I'm simply saying is that your gifts will always make room for you. You never have to defend it. Your gifts will always make room for you. And so Stephen was teaching and he, he, they, they pulled him into these debates. Now here is Stephen just trying to do his work. But now they wanted to talk to Stephen about what he knows. So Stephen is in these debates. And every time Stephen got into a debate, they couldn't out-debate Stephen. Stephen was a man that he knew stuff. It got to the point where they bring now Stephen before the great Jewish council. Because they say, Stephen, you're talking some things that is anti the church. They bring Stephen before this great Jewish council and they start to question him saying that he's preaching against the laws of Moses and all of these things. And, you, you know, but Stephen, but, but here's what's interesting in the text. While Stephen was defending his faith, they, these same Jewish people looked and they said, but he had the face of an angel. So while Stephen is, imagine, imagine Stephen in a courtroom and they're, they're charging him with all kinds of accusations. Stephen is defending his faith. And while he's defending his faith, he's doing it in such a way that he's not combative, but he's telling you how he's, he's giving an account for the hope that is in him. And while Stephen is excited about preaching the word, and you can't, listen, no matter how Stephen was feeling, he's saying, you got to understand how wonderful God is. Stephen took them through the history. And while Stephen was talking, his passion was coming out. And they said, yeah, he's saying some stuff, but, but, but he looks like an angel. I tell you, when you are walking in your purpose, even those who attack you will admit that there is something good about you. They may not be willing to admit it in front of the world, but what I want you to understand is that when you are operating in your calling, you cannot hide the glory of the Lord that will shine through you. This was Stephen. Stephen got to the point where he got a little upset now. And Stephen said, listen, you're all a bunch of stiff-necked people. Now, that's an, now, let me tell you, it's not a good thing to tell a judge you're stiff-necked. 
But, but Stephen tells them that, listen, it gets worse. Stephen says, listen, just as your ancestors have done, you resisted the Holy Spirit. And to add insult to injury, Stephen said, was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? What an indictment against the church. I mean, Stephen was literally calling them out. Stephen said, your ancestors and you even killed the one who was predicted to come, the righteous one. And now you betrayed him and you murdered him. Now, when Stephen did that, <laughs> everything changed for Stephen. They tore their clothes and they dragged him into the street and they stoned him. This is where we pick it up in our text today. And I'll read it again. That's all what happened, and that's, how, that's what got us to this point. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What Stephen is saying right here, my brothers and sisters, and I want you to understand, see the picture. Stephen is in the middle of the street, outside of the city, and they're stoning Stephen. Stephen's looking up, and Stephen says, while they're stoning him, I see the heavens opened up, and I see the Son of Man. I, he's, in other words, he's saying, I see God. Now, in the Jewish culture, you see God? Who do you think you are? But he says, but I see the heavens open up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears. I cannot believe he's saying this stuff. And, and when they driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And you can see the picture. Then Stephen said, they went on stoning him as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Did you see the picture? Now, I won't be long before you, but I want to get to the point of this message. The text tells us that Stephen saw the heavens opened up. And he saw the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God the Father. Don't forget that. He saw Stephen, Stephen saw Jesus doing what? Standing. Y'all not convinced. What did he see Stephen? What did Stephen see Jesus doing? Standing. Standing at the right hand of God the Father. Here's why this is important. I want to look at seven different texts across the New Testament briefly. In the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter and the 64th verse. Listen to me carefully, church. This is what it says. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, this is Jesus talking, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What did Jesus say you will see the Son of Man doing? Seated. Let's go to Mark, the 14th chapter and the 62nd verse. And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What did Jesus say the Son of Man would be doing? You all get the picture. Luke 22nd chapter and the 69th verse. From now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Ephesians, the first chapter and the 20th verse. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Colossians, the third chapter and the first verse. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews, the eighth chapter and the first verse. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And my personal favorite, Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the second verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So clearly we see from all of these texts that what? God, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So this is significant because you need to understand something about the right hand of God the Father. The right hand of God the Father is a place of highest honor and favor with God. The phrase is used throughout the scriptures to indicate God's power and his sovereignty. And to say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father is to say that Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth. In sitting at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus sits on the throne of his father David. He is the Messiah of Israel, the highest of the kings of the earth, and the fulfillment of the Lord's promises to keep the offspring of David on the throne forever. Seated at the right hand of God the Father. In other words, all authority, all power is given to Jesus. He has everything. And to sit means that you are in control. That's where Jesus is. Now, that's good, Pastor, but what does that mean? Okay. I remember when I used to work for this company, Verizon, and we were at a conference once, and it was announced to us that a very popular corporate leader was retiring. We were in this huge auditorium in this conference room, and when the CEO mentioned that this, this particular person was retiring, he was so beloved by everybody in the company that when he started to walk and to make his way to the podium, the entire room stood up and gave him a standing ovation. I mean, it was, it was a great display of affection. It's with this in mind that I want us to look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and the 12th to the 13th verses, where it says that this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and from henceforth, meaning from that moment, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. What Hebrews is saying is that after Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, after he walked the earth and he was resurrected and walked the earth, and the Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven, it's at that point that the Bible tells us that Jesus sits now at the right hand of God the Father. The Hebrews text tells us quite clearly, from henceforth, in other words, it's from that point, from that point, he now is going to make his enemies his footstool. Jesus is sitting and he's not going to move from that point until everything has been taken care of and done. <laughs> the passage establishes the fact that Jesus was sitting there until the time of the end. But now in Acts, the seventh chapter, and the 55th verse, we see that Stephen is being persecuted by the Jews. 
And, and it, said, it said in verse 56, it said, wait a second. Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man. Did it say standing? I just read you seven scriptures that said he was seated. And even the eighth scripture said he was seated until the time of the end. But now Stephen sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the Father. Now, 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 here's the point. Here's the point. If the standing ovation is the greatest honor that man can give to man, to this executive, the greatest honor we could give to this executive, this standing ovation, how much more so? How much more so when Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God the Father sees Stephen being stoned and Jesus gets up and gives him the standing ovation. This waiter, this nobody who's full of the Spirit, if he can get the standing ovation from our Lord. That to me is the greatest honor that we could receive. My brothers, let me be crystal clear. For every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, who makes the decision to follow this crucified Savior, to suffer for his sake. I'm not telling you to go out there and get stoned. I'm saying be willing to die to yourself. And if you are so willing, I just felt a sharp pain in my side. If you are so willing to die to yourself for the faith that you proclaim, that you believe, if you are willing to suffer for Christ's sake, then my brothers and my sisters, let me be the first to declare to you today that you will receive the greatest, the greatest, the greatest honor that can be given to any person. And that is the standing ovation from our Lord. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, no powers, neither in earth or in heaven, no height, no depth, nothing, nothing, nothing 
can separate us or separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I am not preaching cleverly crafted fables. I'm simply telling you that if God, if Jesus himself saw fit to give someone like Stephen who all he did was to be willing to die for his Lord. If someone like Stephen was willing to suffer for his Savior's sake, then I'm telling you, my brothers and my sisters, how much more so will you today? When everything in the world is telling you that our faith is foolish, that we are a bunch of blind mice following the Pied Piper. Well, I'm telling you, my brothers and my sisters, my faith is real because you don't know what it took for me to preach today. But I'm always reminded that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And I don't claim to be perfect, but I love my Lord and I love him with all of my heart. And I will give him everything that I have because it's the least I can do for what he has done for me. I love you more than you know, more than I can even articulate. And like I said, I make mistakes, but judge my head, not my heart. For I'm telling you right now that unless I'm willing to die for every one of you, I do not deserve to be in that pulpit because I understand the sacrifice of my Lord and why this was a calling. So I don't want to see any of you perish, none, not one. I want every single one of you to come to know the Lord at least the way that I know him. And if that can happen, then I know that at the time of your end, you too will see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the Father. So I'll ask you all to stand. And standing this time, I want you to know that you're standing for your Lord. But if you want to make his joy complete, if there is someone here you've never asked the Lord into your heart for yourself, you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, and you've heard the message and you're wishy-washy, make your calling and election sure today. Won't you come now as you feel so led in Jesus' name? Oh.